Welcome back, listeners. Today, I have a very special episode because if you are a writer and you are serious about developing your craft and owning your voice and going to that next level of your writing, then this is the episode for you. I am joined by the incredible bestselling author, Fiona Lowe. And on this episode, we talk about everything. We talk about her journey to becoming an author. She shares all her tips on craft, which are incredible. And I highly recommend you listen into and take notes if you can. So if you're listening to this while you're driving, make sure you listen to it again <laughs> or keep, keep, um, keep her um, remarks in your head because she says some really, really, really poignant things in here. Um, she talks about point, uh, point of view and creating your voice, um, where to take feedback on and where to not building confidence in your stories, finding the perfect genre for you and really growing and developing your writing muscles. Also, you can win a copy of Fiona's book this week, her newest book, Family of Strangers. So head to oliviahilliard.com slash podcast, fill out your details and a copy of her book could be being sent to your door. Without further ado, here is Fiona. Writer's Advice is a point of connection, a dose of inspiration, and an insight into the creative process of the babes behind the books. I'm your host, Olivia Hillier. Each week, I'll be interviewing authors from around the globe on their creative process and how they got to where they are today and what it's really like inside the industry of publishing. So listen in, take notes, and I hope you walk away inspired, ready to take on the next level of your writing wherever you are in your journey. Welcome back, listeners. I am very excited because this week joining us, we have incredible best-selling Australian author Fiona Lowe with us. Thank you so much for joining us, Fiona. Oh, thank you for having me. Now, I know you have you have so many incredible books and such an amazing writing career. I know you have so much incredible advice that you can share with our listeners. But one thing I did want to start with is when did you first discover that you were a writer? Uh, well, I don't have the traditional path per se. Most people say that they were scribbling stories from an early age. But when I think back, um, I used to um, tell myself stories and have lots of conversations in my head. I didn't necessarily write write it down. But I was always, I guess I was weaving stories in my head. I wasn't that aware. And then if I read a book that I didn't like the ending of, I would retell it. And then as a, te- as a teenager, you know, all those conversations with boys that didn't go well or anyone you like that didn't go well well I definitely rewrote all of those (laughs) and then um uh so when I traveled overseas uh we didn't have the internet so um when I was a uh you know in my early um 20s so we had I used to write home because I came from a long letter writing family and um so that was my mother expected a letter, so I would write home every week and she would type them up and send them out. And people used to say, oh, you should write a book. And I was like, oh, I'm not, you know, really that interested. And I'd always journaled. Um, but it wasn't until I was at home with my first baby that I, um, and I had it taken me seven years to have a child and I was in no big hurry to rush back to work. And I had this brilliant idea that I'd write a book and stay home. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah, but it took a lot longer than that. I think he was 10 by the time I... <laughs> sold the first book but um 
And that was because that came about around by two things, because I had done nursing and um, we, you know, if, if you if you do, if you work in the medical field, you watch it, you watch DR and you watched all those, you know, the flying doctors and all that sort of stuff. And you try and pick the diagnosis before the end. And there was always a relationship and stuff. And I used to watch that and think oh, I could write something like that because I knew the medical background. Uh, I had no other skills. <laughs> And I started knowing nothing. I didn't even know how to format a document. So, you know, I just jumped in feet first and said, I'm going to have a go. That's incredible. And so the first book that you've decided to sit down and write, is that the first book you had published or there's a couple before then? I wrote four full manuscripts. I had just, so I had heard an uh, interview on the radio and, and I had never, ever read a Mills and Boone. The only romance that I had read um, was Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> and then as a joke 30th birthday present, someone gave me a Mills and Boone medical romance. I didn't even know what it was. And I read it and it was just like all those um, television shows. Yeah. Like, you know, and I thought, oh, maybe I could write one of those. But I knew nothing. So, and then I posted, but Mills and Boone, this radio interview said, we read everything. So I sent off three chapters. I didn't read the instructions. I sent them to Sydney. They sent them back. I sent them to London. And I think the day I dropped those three chapters in the letterbox, my husband came home and said, there's this job in America. And three and a half weeks later, we were living there with me, the baby. And so, um, and that's when I joined, I saw an article in the paper um, about a writer's group and I said, I'm going to be big and brave. And I baked a pavlova and off I went to this group of people that I'd never met. And it was the best thing I ever did because I met writers and I found a tribe. And that's where I learned, that's where I started learning the craft of writing. Um, because you can tell a story and you have a good idea, but it's like anything, you know, you wouldn't rock up and knock on the door and say, I'm an electrician, you know, <laughs> without an apprenticeship. And so writing is a bit like that. You know, you do hear those stories. Oh, their first book got across the line. Well, maybe the premise got across the line, but I bet there was an awful lot of editing. So, yeah, you do have to. I learned a lot. And um, and I can talk about craft till the cows come home because I'm quite passionate about it now, considering I started from nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so what was that process like? So you've you've made you've created your writers group and from there you're learning about craft and you know specializing in creating your own in that way as well. What was the process of that to yeah, publishing your first the book? publication? Well, that was quite an interesting process because I was an Australian living in America. Yeah. Writing books set in Australia. So I I had they would tell me that, you know, that was wrong and this is it. So I, I had to I say, well, you know, this is how we do it here or, you know, this is the language, so we would do that. Um, but I remember going to my first writers' meeting and they were talking about POV and I'm, I had to say, you know, what's that? <laughs> point of view. What the hell is point of view? So, oh, it's in the person's head, rah, rah, rah. Okay. And then um, I became quite a devotee of point of view. Um, and I know there are some very, uh, way more successful authors than me that head hop, you know, change points of view the whole time. Mm -hmm. But I am very much of the opinion that if you stick to the point, the same point of view for the whole scene, that you will ramp up your emotional tension mm -hmm. greatly and you're not going to actually confuse your reader. And I think that if you head hop consistently in a scene, you actually give away more than you gain. But, you know, you'll find 10 people who will 
you know, argue me down. And 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 it's one of those things that you either are a point one stick to one point of view per scene, or you don't care. <laughs> so, um, so and I learned, yeah. So I that was a bit of fun. And then I had an American critique partner, and I had had my first book that I sent in. They had said, "We love your voice." And, and I was desperate to get published. So if any of your listeners take this away, one thing that I did totally wrong and don't do it. <laughs> so there's this fine line between taking on board advice and knowing that that advice actually isn't going to work for you. So I just sort of took on everyone's advice and um, we got to the, I'd moved home and we got to the, third book that I'd submitted and they rang me and they said look we we really like this book we've got a few concerns um your voice seems to disappear and I said oh really and I didn't quite know what she meant and my very good critique partner and she was published she was American and unfortunately her husband was really unwell when I was given this month to rewrite. And so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, her husband is now well, thank goodness. But that actually turned out to be the best thing for me because I did this rewrite without her input. And it was her voice that was sneaking in to my manuscripts. Yeah. So, you know, and, you know, if you're in a critique group, um, everyone's got a different opinion. I found that really hard and I don't know the solution. I haven't had it been in a critique group since I got published because your editor is your is your critique partner, so to speak. But um, yeah, so whole you know, if, if I had not taken on board any advice from the start, I wouldn't be published. But then it became a line where you have to have some confidence in what you're putting out, you know. Yeah. And and your voice is what gets you over the line. And so if if um, if anyone's trying to tamper with your voice. Like you can learn grammar and you can all that, but your voice is your voice and that's what makes you special and you need to protect that. Yeah, because that, that's your own in that's your own individual way and that, that that's the thing that you bring to your own writing. With exactly. that, what did so what did you find as to learn at to learn about what advice to take on as you know the one? Ah, well, see, there's another there's another thing. So then I joined, I went to this fabulous workshop. Um, a, a weekend conferency thing and and the uh, instructor was brilliant and then she decided to move to the town I was living in because her daughter had moved there and so we had this critique group and her each week and I came up with this idea for a book and she and she's saying oh no 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 you should do this and you should do that and, and so I wrote this thing well it was the only and it felt a bit wrong and it didn't feel like me but she was the teacher right so I was trying to and um, that was the only book that I got a hard no on wow then wasn't me you yeah. know when I wrote it my way which obviously I was more comfortable but that that said it is always a good I'm not saying that you necessarily write it to to submit to an editor but sometimes being um writing something that you don't feel comfortable writing as an exercise can um can um you know uh stretch muscles um, and it's interesting because I started off writing these medical romances and then um, after about six, I, I already, when, when they said, I'll write another one, I didn't think I'd ever be able to write another one. And then, but I only took six where I was already starting to say I wanted to flex some writing muscles and I didn't come from a romance background per se. So I didn't understand a lot of the, um, 
oh, I've got no words. Um, there are certain things you need to do. Obviously, you've got to have an absolute happy ending. And, um, and it has to be about one couple. And it's a very um, focused. And so secondary characters were, you, they're not welcome because it's all about the romance. And I started wanting to write more secondary characters and things. But what writing the romance taught me was, I the emotion like I really learned how to write emotion and now I write much broader books but there's you know there's always relationships in them and I believe that um I write emotion really well because of my apprenticeship in writing romance and so I would never ever I do not regret that one bit. It's just I wanted to write bigger stories and I, I wanted to um not necessarily be tied into the absolute happy ending although Obviously, some of my characters do. And I had been published then. I, I, I moved into um, single title romance and I was published with Penguin America. And then I got tangled up in the um, Random House Penguin merge and they oh. decimated the New York office. Like 40% of their staff went, my editor went, and they the first book had sold really well and they failed to get the second book basically out of the warehouse. And then they said, you didn't sell very many books and so we're not recontracting you. And I was like, oh, okay, I had so much control over that. Um, and I said to my husband, because we'd lived in America, but we were back in Australia. And I said, and it takes a lot of effort to write a book in American. It really does. Like the yeah. words, things that everything's different. And so, and my kids would say, we always know when you're writing an American book because your language changes. <laughs> you know, we start having supper and we're having cookies instead of biscuits and dinner and tea. And so, and I said, I just want to write a book in my own back garden and do what I want. I don't want any tropes, any rules, any. I just want to write a book. And that's when I wrote Daughter of Mine. And that was the first of my family and community books that I'm been right I've just handed in my seventh so the family of strangers came out this year that was six so yeah and that's how that happened but if you had told me I would be writing a 500 page novel back in 2005 when I sold my 200 page novel I would have laughed at you but I didn't have the writing muscles then but you grow and you constantly learn and change and you develop these writing muscles and you want to try new and different things that said, I never want to try fantasy or anything like that. <laughs> but, you know, um, yeah, so it's a process, I think, and you evolve and change. And I suppose that's the same with any career. You know, you get more confident and you have a go. But each time I changed direction, it's almost like going back to the start. Just because you've published 20 Mills and Boone romances doesn't mean you. it's a free pass to anything else. You kind of go back and you start again and have to prove yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So especially, so now you're working on, do you say your eighth now? It's your eighth now, yeah? I'm about to start my eighth. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so how do you find the, you literally just start from scratch? Like each, the start of each novel is a completely new journey for you. Do you have the same routine for each one? How, do, how does that work for you? Yeah, I pretty much. So I've been putting out um, one big novel a year since twenty. 17 which is exhausting and I'm just about ready for long service leave <laughs> um so um what I do is I hand the book in and I just handed in the 2023 book last week 
and I'm taking I take a couple of weeks off, then I have to start thinking about an idea for the next book. Mm. And I, I'm not a person that is hammered with ideas. I actually really have to go digging. So I have a bit of a rest and then I start digging and then, you know, and I write around themes generally. So Family of Strangers, the theme was escape and um, a home like ours, it was um, displacement and uh, home fires was, you know, recovering from natural disaster and um, birthright was um, that's my family inheritance where there's a will there's a relative and looking at adult sibling rivalry which is stems from childhood so I choose a theme and then I I devise my characters and write their backstory and and then I have to find if it's a family book they're connected by family by marriage or blood that's easy if it's a community book it's a little more challenging. And my first community book with home fires and I realised, how do I bring these disparate people? I needed a connection. So um, with A Family of Strangers, that's the choir. So I bring these three women who are trying to escape their lives in, in very different ways um, through with the choir. And with the women who all had very different lives in um, a home like ours, they, they were our lives can be displaced in many different ways. And of course, we've all experienced displacement with the pandemic, but um, I had a homeless woman. I had um, a young woman who was unexpectedly pregnant. So she was a teenage mother and I had a chronic illness that completely upends your life. And I had a refugee, the war mm -hmm. had, a, had displaced her life. So they had th very different experiences, but um, and so I pulled them together in the community garden. And I normally know a significant event for each of my characters before I start writing but there's a lot of blanks <laughs> in between <laughs> um, and so normally what you find is you've got to get to know your characters so you know you've written you know this happened to them and they but it's very important I always know what my characters believe about themselves because what we believe about ourselves whether it's correct and it's frequently incorrect. And I think the easiest example of that is someone with anorexia. They'll look in the mirror and they'll see that they're huge. And, but that's, they, because that's what they see and that's what they believe about themselves, it drives everything they say, everything they do and how they react in any situation. So I always know what my character believes about themselves. And then no matter where I drop them, I know how they're going to react. So I may not know where I'm going to drop them, as I start out or in the middle, but I know how they will react because of what they believe about themselves. So, but as you write the book, you really get to know them. So it's around about the middle of the book. Oh, I've taken it upstairs, sorry. Around about the middle of the book, I can, I suddenly start seeing the rest of the book. I suddenly start seeing snaps of scenes, like I'll have to do this and that and that. And suddenly then I'll get a big sheet with lines for each character of the scenes that are left to write. But when I'm starting, I've got no idea. I can see to the first turning point and I don't always know how to get them there. And so for writers, the hardest scenes to write are bridging scenes and they're bastards. You know, they can take so long to write because not only because you're getting to an explosion or what I call a bomb you're getting to that but you to get there it's got to be interesting and you've also got to reveal something either about character or about plot to keep it turning and those books you read that kind of come to a full stop or a sluggish and that's because the bridging scene mm. is not 
very interesting, you know, yeah. you know, having a cup of tea. So, and please, you can, I mean, I've just written quite a few cups of tea, but something uh, significant happens. If your characters are sitting down having a cup of tea and talking about the weather and, and, and nothing new is being revealed about plot or character, then take it out. It does mm -hmm. not belong, you know, and that's what, that's what makes bridging scenes really, really hard. Um, so yeah, they're horrible. And I don't, I don't always know what scenes. As I said, I, I can have, I have pivotal scenes in my head, and it's easier toward the end. Um, I write character-driven novels. That said, I've just the book I've just handed in, The Money Club, is very driven by plot, and I don't know what to say it. Out loud. I was going to say, are you allowed to? <laughs> no, well, it was easier to write. It was oh. easier to write. Um, don't know. Uh, you know I don't know why that is um, I mean every book has its hard bits absolutely yeah and um, Home Fires was the hardest book to write but that was from an emotional perspective because mm. it was about trauma and your body doesn't know so when I was writing the bushfire scene my body couldn't tell that I wasn't experiencing the fire because I'm writing the scene and I'm in that point of view and my character doesn't know whether she's going to live or die. And there's this massive bushfire bearing down, you know, things are exploding around them. And I got serious heartburn writing that book because my body thought I was in there. Yeah. Um, so there you do actually have, um, if you're right into the um, mind and spirit of what that character is experiencing then and there, then you you do get a rise in cortisol and your heart does beat faster and yeah so it's unhealthy <laughs> <laughs> well it's hard, it's hard to separate yourself from that like you write characters so realistically and you're able to draw people in and into these beautiful intense emotions and that also brings out so much in people and it, it, the fact that you said you know exactly what the characters think about themselves yeah. I can't imagine writing that in so many different characters at once in one book. You have to fully embody yourself into that into that person. It's it's a hard thing to separate. And it's interesting because I write on. Well, I generally write a scene um, in one point of view, then the next character and the next character. Not always. My new editor for. Um, which came in with a home like ours restructured me a bit, which worked really well. But still, you 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 spend a, um, a, a significant amount of time with one character, and then we move into the, the mm. next character. And what I find is when I when I finish a scene, and sometimes it can take three or four days to write the scene. I'm not exactly fast, especially if, if it's a bridging scene. I've got no idea what I'm doing. Um, then then you you're so immersed in that character, and then you. You, you look at your plan and you go, oh, well, I'm writing her now. Now, what the hell was she doing? So then I have to go back and read what she was doing, even if she's appeared in the last scene, because you need to find out what, where she was up to, what she was thinking, you know, and what the next jumping off point was. So, um, and I'm a little bit anal retentive, obviously. I didn't realise I was, but I have to write chronologically. Yeah, um, I don't write all oh, this scene, and that, I think that's just a complete nightmare. And what I do find for you readers um, is when you when you're in the middle of something and you don't know what you're doing, and you don't seem to be you're spinning your wheels and you can't seem to move forward, it's normally because 
you haven't written something earlier that needs to have happened or an opinion or a moment. And so I spend in the first half of the book, I spend a lot of time going backwards so that I can go forwards. Mm. You know, I go back and I, I, I sew that thing in so that then I can use it. So um, then occasionally, like with the book I've just sent in and Home Fires, I think was another one, uh, I reach a point and suddenly I will get an idea. It doesn't happen heaps, but I will get an idea for a scene that's quite a bit, like it might be right toward the end. And I used to ignore it, but now I don't. Now I just just type it. I don't do any speech tag or I just type out the general thoughts and maybe bits of dialogue and I park it. Yeah. And it's either going to work. It'll either be pretty, I can tie it in or it's a disaster. But normally because it's a, a quite a pivotal scene and I just leave that at the bottom of the manuscript because I know I'm not going to get there for maybe two months or something yeah. but it's there and um and that that worked with this book that I just did it, it, it blended in uh occasionally but I think if you write randomly all over the shop I think you lead yourself into a, a mess of trying to pull it together but as I said I write chronologically so what I do is I I will write and then the next morning the next and some days are terrible especially if you're doing a scene in the early part of the book you're not quite sure where you're going so you know you might get 800 words for nine hours work mm. but a good one <laughs> but no well and you just sort of think oh god that's hopeless but then you go back the next day and you read it and you go okay this isn't as bad as I thought mm. and so you edit that and then you you and also overnight your subconscious has been pulling strands together and so then you'll have a better writing day and you you build on that and you move forward so I I always read what I wrote the day before and and move forward from there and then when you get to significant turning points I'll stop and read it all to make sure it hangs together before I move on to the next section so because I do that I don't write draft one draft two draft three when I finish the novel the novel's finished yeah edited all the way through and I was just reading the money tree before I handed it in and you know you write this big book so it takes four to five days to read it all and I was just doing little things so the first the first three quarters of the book sang and it was because it was so clean it was great and then we got to the bit that I'd written of all of April <laughs> which was a fair amount and I think it took me a day and a half to edit a hundred pages because you know that had been that was rougher and so we tidied all that up and and then it went but uh, so that's how I write but everyone does it differently and some people just they have this download which I never get and they just can see the story and they just write it all down and and it's very 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 much a first draft when people say oh I wrote a book in a month I'm sorry sweetie you may have got a first draft in a month and now the hard work starts you go in and you find out does it hang together you've got to go in and deepen all your emotions you know all that sort of stuff um that's that's you you need a lot of editing so yeah I do it as I go and everyone has their own system and, and doing that and coming back and be like, okay, where was I at? It, it would help tie and find those bridging parts a lot better, I can Im imagine, that way as well. And, you know, that's the perfectionist in me. I want to know that it's there and it's done and I can move forward because if it's if I'm not very good, like some people have no problem in, oh, yeah, and they do, and they just do it, oh, I'll fix that later. 
and they'll come back to it and they just keep going. And I'm like, I can't keep going until I fixed it. I have got a bit better in if I can't think of it of a word and I'll do an asterisk. Um, and, and also I, although I do a lot of research before I start, I'll reach a point and, you know, I'll get this brilliant idea, not so brilliant. And then I go off. So I, I, don't, I think, oh, so in, they decide to go fishing. Well, I know sweet FA about fishing. I took the kids fishing we, off a pier, but like this was a surf fishing. So suddenly I'm watching YouTube videos on surf fishing and how to cast. And I've got my husband saying, I don't understand this. Can you watch this? He says, he's holding thing at a 45 degree. <laughs> I love that. So we got all that done. Then I could write the scene, which was a pivotal a scene. And the fishing is just the background bit, but you've got to have it right. And in um in a family of strangers, um, I suddenly my one of my lead characters needed to surf, and so I'm watching YouTube videos on surfing, and um, I wrote this surfing scene, and my eldest son has a has a good surfer mate, and I said, oh, would Angus read? my surfing scene to make sure I've got it right and hey I got it right um and he only made one change and then he added a few lyrical things because and um and so and then people are saying oh my god you surf <laughs> research you know research I mean I bodyboard but you know yeah. I, I'm so coordinated I'd never I'd never be able to stand up. I'd just spend my life pitching into the water. But, um, yeah, so I and I do it that way. I have to stop, do the research so I can write the scene. But yeah. other people who are less anal retentive and probably will write books faster. <laughs> but, yeah, so, um, but editing is a whole a hot polishing, you mm. know. You've got to polish. You can't just write it down and, you know, that's just getting that, that first draft is just getting your idea there. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's your that's your seed, and then you've got to you know you've got to nurture it and weed it and all that. You know, if you want to use the plant analogy, um, stake it and and go back in. Yeah, um, absolutely. And to like to write a book a year at the at the size of your books, that's a huge achievement. What does your what does your daily routine look like to, to do that? Because you would be uh, so okay. in these yeah. worlds. Well, that, that's the other thing. So for you were asking me about the process of starting. So I will get, I've handed the book in and I'll have the, um, I'll start having to daydream about the, the next idea too quickly. Um, and then my edits I'll just I'll have just got to the point where I think I'll start the new book and then the structural edits arrive for the book I handed in they take a month and they can be horrendous to the point of where you basically restructure the entire book this one <laughs> or they can be a little easier like this one but they still and and sometimes I work seven during structurals I'll work definitely work six days a week for that and then um they go back and you say okay I'll start the new book and you you're about three weeks in you're three to four weeks and you're just starting to maybe find a bit of a stride I don't start well and then the copy edits will arrive mm. there's another month and so you send them off and you return to that book and you start writing it and you get a couple of months in on that one. And then the typesetting comes. That's another, so you've set that aside. So that happens, you know, in November. And then it's December. Well, oh, God. So you've got to write through, you've got to write all around Christmas and stuff. And then it's January, which is summer. And um, 
we always have a couple of weeks holiday and but to meet the deadline I have to write I get up and I've got a battery operated word processor thing for down at the tent and I do 90 minutes in the mornings before everyone gets up and then I'm on holidays for the rest of the day but if I don't do that it's a bit too stressful for the rest of the week so then you come home and it's February and you're writing but also you're starting to do all the marketing stuff for the book you know just write 700 words on this Fiona and record five videos for this and do that and then it's then it's release month which is March and so you're trying to be creative and still write the book and you're out on tour and that's a completely different like the creative side and the promotion side are just like they just run parallel and then well this year your son decides to get married in your busiest month of the year that's March and um, we actually threw the wedding like to down to we did the whole thing the marquee the the table set we did everything and so then it's April and you book you at the end of the month and so you vanish and so I wrote I wrote for 21 night I took Easter Sunday off and went to see Hamilton but other than that I wrote flat out for three weeks and I'm talking all day wow long service leave soon (laughs) <laughs> yes, absolutely. And when you're working through those edits, but then writing something else, you're in two different stories at once. And that's, you definitely yeah. deserve a break. And I can't thank you enough for, ta- for giving us some of your time to, to share with everyone. It means that oh, welcome. I do have one last question for you before oh. um, I let you go. <laughs> now, is there any particular books, courses, or any other advice that you would give up and coming writers, whether it's on the craft or productivity sitting down getting it done whatever you particularly would give yeah well um I've got I don't know I think we're all more distracted these days I don't think you know there's all the social I think the change that's happened like three years ago I was never even asked to make a video and this time for this Mm. book I think I made about eight you know so um and then there's all the social media which really does erode into into your into your time Mm. so I've started writing uh and because I don't start well I've started using a timer that I set for 40 minutes my natural concentration span is 30 um but I set it for 40 and and sometimes it goes off and um I'm I can still keep going a little bit um often I 35 minutes and I'm already you know so I do it in that and I will get up then and make a cup of tea or walk around the garden and I come back and I do another 40 minutes. So I'm, I'm using a free timer that I got, you know, an app that I got. Um, craft books, I, I mean, I write scene sequel. So, um, and I was introduced to that and I think it, I, I, it's a good structure. Um, always end your um, scene on a, cliffhanger and it doesn't have to be it can be an emotional cliffhanger or it can be a plot cliffhanger but don't end a scene with nothing no reason because you never want your um, reader to put your book down you want them to turn that page and keep going and Donald I mean I haven't bought a craft book in a long time so these are really old Um, but you know I don't suppose they change the Donald Mars workbook is really good mm-hmm. um, and I think that that I learned from him is you know what's at stake so and when you write in one point of view you always start and you say what's the goal of this scene and and the goal might be making a cup of tea say but so 
you're going to prevent that person from ever doing that. You're going to throw in all sorts of roadblocks. And, and the end of each scene needs to be either they, either they're in peril, meaning that, you know, they're still thirsty because they didn't get that cup of tea, that sort of peril. I mean, it doesn't have to be major peril, but, but emotional too. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that you are jumping off into the next into the next scene um the I forgot Kim Hudson I think wrote because I'm also a big fan of the hero's journey but um Kim uh, Kim Hudson wrote the virgin's promise which is the female version of the um which is a more emotional story so I, I think that's really good because if you're writing about women we are driven by emotions mm-hmm. way more than you know having to um you know um the blokes more about you know um killing that bear but uh <laughs> emotions are really are really important um and oh I can't think of another one I've got them all upstairs but yeah um and uh, the other thing that I can say is when your scene is not working for you and and it doesn't matter and you've been working at it for two days and you're tearing hair out and it's not working you're normally writing it in the wrong point of view oh write it in the other person in the scene's point of view mm. you want to write it at the point of view of the person who has most at stake and if you're writing it at the person who doesn't have the most at stake it's that's why it's not working and that has you know I put my head through the computer screen and say why did it take me two days so it is worth and sometimes I don't do this often enough it is worth breathing before you start and saying okay what's this scene about what's the goal who who what's at stake and who has the highest stakes and that's where we're going absolutely excellent oh my gosh Fiona this has been the best chat there is so much goodness that you have shared I yeah I can't thank you enough I know so many people are going to absolutely love this interview um before you go where can everyone get in contact with you um yeah find out more about you particularly well, I'm everywhere. I have a website, fionalow.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm even on TikTok. Which oh, yes. Awesome. Amazing. I do a few fun things there. So, yeah, you can reach out, you know, um, through the website email or you can message me on all those other things and, and find me. Perfect. Absolutely. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. And good luck for everything else that you have coming up for the rest of the year. So you're about to go through another, like, is it? structural edits you're about to go through again and then... uh, yeah, they're coming out I've got a holiday in June I'm looking oh, good, forward to good. hopefully spending the entire of June in Western Australia which has been cancelled three times so oh, fingers no. crossed and think, yeah then I, I think it's back a good time for it edits, so, oh my yeah. gosh completely switch off and enjoy it <laughs> thank you so much for that Fiona thanks for having me bye bye thanks so much for listening in to another incredible episode guys and I do always forget to mention we do have a Facebook group. So you can head to Writer's Advice Community. Um, Just search Writer's Advice Podcast Community in the Facebook search bar and you will find our group. So click on there if you're looking to find like-minded writers, readers who are going through the same thing, if you're working on a manuscript or you've got a new um, project at all that you're working on that you want to connect with, then please join us there. Until then, I'll see you on next week's episode.